He's, he's doing it again. He's, he's making the divine way too available. They don't need us. They don't need our incantations. They don't need our sacrifices. They don't need to pay us tithes so that we can make our wonderful living. He has to be stopped. So two natural enemies get together, the Herodians and the Pharisees, to entrap Jesus. Now this is a, it's a really big-time gospel. As a matter of fact, all three synoptics have a version of this gospel. That's how big of a deal that it is. And, of course, they begin always the same way. They're going to they're gonna butter him up for the fall. They're going to do a little bit of flattery. And, of course, you know, flattery is kind of like soft soap. It's 90% lie. And when they try to flatter you, let it go. Let it go. Well, and that's exactly what he's going to We know that you're not a respecter of persons. We know that you don't worry about people's status. Tell us. And, of course, they're now about to enter into their catch-22. Because he's darned if he does, and he's darned if he doesn't. No matter what he says, they're gonna, they got him. If he says, uh, well, uh, no, it, 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 you, you should not be paying the tax to Caesar, they now can accuse him of being an insurrectionist, and he can be in lots of legal trouble if he says, no, no, it's okay to pay the tax to Caesar. Well, how dare you flout the law of Moses and the prophets that have gone before you? You really don't believe that God is number one, and of course, no dummy him. Uh, he never play gotcha with Jesus. You're going to lose. And they lose, I mean, spectacularly. <laughs> Jesus says, uh, you hypocrites. And then, of course, he's answering the question with a question. Why are you trying to trip me up? Why are you trying to catch me? It's not going to work. And then he says, the piece de resistance. Show me the coin in which the tax is paid. Now, if you are a true, good, faithful Jew, you don't have that coin in your pocket. Well, one of them had the coin in his pocket. And shamefacedly, he pulls out the coin and he says, whose inscription is on that? And, of course, the inscription reads, Tiberius Caesar, son of Augustus Caesar, the divine one. You know, the term Lord means the sovereign. Caesar was Lord. So when they called Jesus Lord, it was a, it was a political slap in, slap in the face to the Romans it was, and, to the, and to everybody else because they're saying there's somebody higher than Caesar. And yet, what is Jesus' response? It's kind of enigmatic. It doesn't really say us a lot. It's kind of inviting us in to do a little bit of, a little bit of wrestling. Render into God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar. Caesar and God. Politics and faith. Religion and faith. We are called to wrestle with these two and ask ourselves, how do they fit together even if they do fit together today? And we know that, that, that politics and, and, and religion are, are the third rail of, of any conversation. You want to destroy your Thanksgiving, just turn to your brother-in-law this week, this time, and talk about politics and religion. It's over. It's over. Why? They're hot buttons. And the question is, how do they fit together? And do they even fit together? And should they be put in the same sentence? You know, the, the earliest church kind of eschewed the political system. 
Jesus doesn't necessarily address it. He kind of subverts it. They often say that if you want to really go after power, never go after it directly. Never go after evil directly because it has a thousand eyes. It will always get you back. It will always have a rational argument. It's always going to win. You want to do that? You got to sneak around and bite it on the butt. Well, that's what Jesus does. He's always, and, and the early church is very subversive. And they are, not, they, they are not going to fall to the game until, until, until it became politically expedient for someone. And of course, you know your church history as well as I do. You know what happened in 312. It became very politically expedient for a man named Constantine uh, who, who said, uh, he says he saw the cross and it says in hoc signo vinces, which means by this sign you shall conquer, you shall win. It used to be on the pack of a pell-mell cigarettes, but they don't exist anymore. But the sign still does. By this sign, you sh- and what happens? He makes Christianity the imperial religion, the powerful religion. At this point, and many, many theologians believe that this was the beginning of the end of the church because this is the time when the church got in bed with Caesar when the secular power and the religious powers came together. Now, during the Middle Ages, we always had what was called the two swords theory. There is the sword of Caesar, which is the power, the raw power of the state. And then there is the sword of the Lord, which is the power of God. And, of course, we always said they were equal. They weren't equal. They weren't equal. They weren't equal in Jesus' time. The Pharisees and the Herodians were using the system, the status quo, to feed themselves very nicely. Thank you. It was a quite strong political system. He's upsetting that apple cart. He's turning that upside down. He is being subversive. And so these two powers really do get in bed with each other, and they do great damage to each other. And I really fear that the greatest damage is done to the the power of the divine. And yet the greatest power, the greatest power, I don't have to tell you, you know what it is. But it's not immediately, it's not fast. You see, the power of the political world is a power from above. It is hierarchical. It is a power from a position of authority. It is a power with the ability to coerce and, if necessary, use violence to get its way. The power of the divine, the power of faith, is always at the bottom and always at the edges. The power of the top always comes top down. The other one bubbles from the bottom up. And it looks, in comparison, so terribly, terribly weak. What is the power from the bottom? What is the power of the Christ? What is the power of God? Now, that's simple. The power of love. The power of mercy. The power of forgiveness. And yet, when we look at the world today, what seems to be winning the war and the battle? It seems so namby-pamby in comparison to the raw political power. Uh, Hannah read for us the first reading today, and it was really interesting because it dealt with one who had raw 
political power, Cyrus. He was a pagan, but somehow something got into his mind and into his heart, and of course the author tells us that it was, Isaiah tells us that it was, it was the power of God that says, uh, Cyrus, you're doing what you can do only because of me. I am the Lord God. There is no power greater than me. Full stop. Get it. Get it. You're doing my will. It's been very interesting. I don't know if you knew it or not, but in, during the, 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 the fundamentalist uh, uh, Protestants and in, in many of the fundamentalist uh, evangelicals were convinced that our former president was the new Cyrus incarnate, doing everything for what? For their own political ends. Blinded by the might. And so they, they got in bed with Caesar, and Caesar's going to crush them every last time. And we can smile at that, but during our crises, the, the scandal of the entire 20th century, the crises of the Catholic faith and the sexual abuse case, what did we use? Raw power, political power, power of intimidation, power of silence, power of accusation, power of not taking responsibility. That's pretty scary stuff. So the question is, between the power of God and the power of the world, who wins? Who wins? Now, theologically, we know the answer, but I honestly think, and I really want to proclaim today, that the answer that we know in our heart really is the answer. It simply needs to be exercised. And I'm not quite sure we exercise the power that has been given to us to the full potential that we have it. Famously, Stalin once said, Stalin, who was a former seminarian, uh, Stalin, who murdered millions of his own people, he, he once said, I think it was Yelty, he says, he was trying to make fun of religion, and his famous line was, and how many divisions does the Pope have? How much strong, how much power does that Pope have? And of course, I, 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 I got my proof when I, I, I saw an incredible picture that literally is engraved in my mind. And it was a picture of a pope. Actually, it was John Paul II. Today, if we weren't celebrating a, a Sunday feast, today would be his, his feast day. We celebrate his feast day today. John Paul II. And, and here's the picture. He went, I think it was his second trip to, to Poland. And General Jozelski, or whatever his name was, was trying to really show this incredible power of strength and the power of the people of Poland. And John Paul, with his incredible moral authority, went to him and he began to point his finger at him and saying, you got to stop doing that. And he was cowling. Raw power, real power. Real power is moral power. Real power is spiritual power. When Jesus makes his inaugural address, what does he say? I have come to do what? Free the captive. Take out the prisoner. Announce a day of favor for those who are on the edges, those who are poor. This is the only power I have. And we dare to believe 
It's the only power we need, but we've got to use it. I'm not quite sure we use it. The power of the state is fierce, is frightening, is overwhelming. The power of God, by comparison, seems so soft. The great question for us is, do, does our faith inform our politics or our politics inform our faith? Again, we know the answer. Our faith has to inform our politics, but it cannot be a namby-pamby faith. Bishop Sheen once gave a, an interesting combination. He was pointing to the crucifix, and he says, look at the crucifix. He says, on the crucifix, there, there are two different things. One represents raw power. He said the cross itself, the cross all by itself. The cross all by itself. And, of course, in those days, it was communism. It was authoritarianism. It, 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 it is violence. But Jesus, all by himself, without the cross, is um, sentimental, soft, not really powerful. Yet Jesus and the cross together. Jesus using the power of the political sphere. And we need to use that power. And we need to use it for good. And we can do it for good. We have to do it for good. We need as fierce a spirituality as the world has in its raw power. Because ours truly is the real power. And we need to desperately, desperately, because I think we are in a spiritual emergency, pass it on to the next generation. As I've said so many times before, for us it's been automatic. We got into the stream, we swam along. Our faith was, was just the way that it was, not for this generation. And this generation is, is losing its religion, is losing its faith, is losing its spiritual moorings. And the Evidence is obvious. Depression is what, 50, 60% of young people? Suicide rates have doubled in the last 15 years. Why? They are unconnected. They're unconnected to something transcendent. They're unconnecting to something different, to something deeper. And what we need to let them see is that they, they really are congenitally in every cell of your body, hardwired spirituality and if they're not fed it if they don't see it if they're not given that faith if it, and if it's not modeled for them they're, they're going to miss it and so we really have our our work cut out to do as as our modern theologian Oprah Winfrey Oprah Winfrey once said we are not human beings trying to be spiritual the core of our being is spiritual trying to understand what it means to be human. How do we exercise that political authority that is given to us from love? Oh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Oh, but render unto God what is God. And God is everything.